0: Evening, my friends. It's me, Krista Fee from Battle to Be, and we are here tonight on this beautiful Monday for another episode of Rise Up, Ignite Your Life. Tonight is episode number 41. So we've been with you guys for a while, and we're really excited. We finally did manage to get to the point where our podcast is going to be generating. Some donation money for our 501c3 that will keep our ferryman program up and running, doing those amazing memorials for families of the fallen and never forgotten. And if you guys were here when we did our last major trip to Florida, we are doing a new trip to Washington coming up soon. So we will be taking Phoenix, the memorial jeep, all the way to Washington. And honoring 27 families on the way. And if the world doesn't get its crap together, there sadly and unfortunately will probably be many more. Every day we have added between two and four um, fallen officers or military personnel or firefighters to our memorial roster. And we don't do everyone. We only do the ones that people... Ask us to do. So we know just by being on Facebook and other social media that there are many, many others. So we need to get a hold of this issue of suicide. We need to get a hold of this issue of violence against our first responders. And today, to talk about some of those topics, is an amazing man who is doing so many things. He is an ex boxer, detective, and patrolman turned advocate, trainer, and founder of a nonprofit organization called My Father's Business. And I'm gonna let him tell you all about that. He is also an author and he's giving back what, what was given to him. And tonight we're gonna discover his true story of real transformation. Please welcome Matt Thornton hi Matt
1: hi how you doing Krista
0: so good it's been an amazing day so much so much is happening that is good on top of Mm -hmm. all the sad things that we talk about all the time so Mm -hmm. so it's a balance it's always a balance that helps.
1: it it is it's a crazy balance every single day
0: (sighs) all the hard stuff so you have so many things that we can delve into so I want to start at the beginning let's talk a little bit about Matt as a little boy
2: <laughs>
1: I <was laughs> <Just> bad <traveling laughs> I was one of uh I grew up right outside of, just north of Chicago my mother's from Chicago my dad is from Las Vegas and they met it the, when he was stationed out here in the Navy uh, so uh, the city I grew up in is is probably about 40 minutes north of Chicago uh went to I had a normal middle class childhood. I was one of four kids, um, the the worst that behaved out of the four. I was the middle child, so <laughs> I was uh, never a good student. Never, uh, never really aspired to be much in life. Never went to college. Never took an ACT. I barely passed high school. I was getting suspended all the time, hanging around the wrong people, and um, so yeah. I always tell the kids that don't don't follow my path. <laughs> all the kids that I mentor, don't don't do what I did. And uh yeah, basically that was it. I was a good ball player. Uh, that's really the thing that kept me in in high school, basketball, football, baseball um, so yeah, I finished high school with no plan, no nothing, no uh, no college, no military I didn't take I remember taking a, to practice ACT and I just filled in the dots. that was it. <laughs> so to think that I would end up in this predicament and this situation is is it's I just say that God put me here. That's all I can say because it's unlikely.
0: I think some of us just have to learn the hard way.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I ended up, when, when I when I graduated high school, um, and this whole day, it's, it's crazy because the whole time I, I hated police. Like I I was a little, I was rebellious. Um, I After high school, I, I I was hung around mainly family and friends, was mainly gang members. Um, I had some decent, hardworking friends, but most of the ones I was with the most were gang members. And uh, I caught a case when I was 21. Uh, packing an illegal pistol. Uh, So there's that too. So that adds to the unlikeliness of me being this spokesman cop. Um, So yeah, that was basically it. From the time I was 21, I had that criminal record. I had that charge. Luckily, it got dropped down to a a misdemeanor. So it's not a felony record. Um, And then I just worked menial jobs. That was basically my upbringing.
0: So that begs the question, how did it happen?
1: Oh my gosh. The (laughs) most... uh, ridiculous unlikely thing I was 21 when that started and I just worked I had two kids I was just scrapping check to check worked in a warehouse and um two things have two buddies that I hung out with a lot they became cops and they went the right route they went to college military they did that um but i was still I still used to drink with them and uh they got this I used to I remember when they got hired at the academy I used to ask them all these questions because like man I'm just as cool as you guys. I I I'm just as I can. I'm just as smart. I don't know, I mean, I might might not be book smart, but I got. I, I I'm a street smart dude. Um, so I used to ask them all these questions. What it's like being a cop? And they finally got sick of me. I was 28, 28 or twenty nine, and they were like, you know what? They're hiring. All you need is a high school diploma. Just go and see if if maybe you get lucky. Um, so I took the test, and the first the first city I tested for, which is right down the road. Um, I made it really high on there after the first few interviews. I had to lie a lot because my my family that is very notorious. The, the gang members I was talking about they were notorious in that city, so I kind of had to not tell them that part. And uh, it turns out I did really well up until the time where the, all the, the the thorough background checks came, and they find out they found out about the gun charge, and then they found out about oh no, we're not hiring somebody from that that that's associated with them. Uh, so it broke my heart. And then the buried, I said, I'm going to take one more test. And this is the city I grew up in. It's called Zion. And I said, it's a smaller department. Nobody wants to work there because they're so shorthanded. And it's pretty violent and a and, uh, and, uh, pretty notorious city. But I was like, let me just try it. So I did. And I was, ended up being dead last on the, on the hiring list. Dead, dead last, barely passed it. Um, and I'm still the only one left from that list on the PD 18 years ago. That was my introduction.
0: So you're persistent. Yes.
1: <laughs> you know, the funny thing was, though, and here's where I made the big mistake. Um, and my, 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 my animus towards the police, I really still wasn't a big fan. I just I, I, I wanted to do it because um, this is like three times the amount of money. This is a career. This isn't like working in this warehouse. I basically did it so I can get a higher salary and have a cooler job. But I didn't study anything. I knew nothing about the police world. I knew uh, I knew what I had experienced um, in life, and I never had very good experiences with the police. And um, I think that's really what set me up for what could have been disaster um, when I when I started my career.
0: So we always talk about the job, mm-hmm. and there's such a polarized feeling about the job because most people learn to just passionately love it. Uh-huh. at the same time that it, a lot of people have said that it's not loving you back.
1: Yeah. I felt that oh my gosh, that, that I've never heard that put more perfectly. Um I was all excited about oh my gosh, I got a career, I can be like my kids can look up to me. And when I started um it was a big it was a big wake up call because they didn't accept me right away. My PD, they were pretty they were brutal to me. A lot of them because they knew about some of the things in my past, some of them had dealt with me growing up. Um, so they didn't welcome me at all. And then all my friends and family that were affiliated, gang affiliated, and they, they didn't want me. They, they thought I was a sellout. So right off the bat, I, would, I had a disadvantage from both sides. I just felt like a stranger in a strange land. And, uh, that was just the, that was just the outside psychological part of it. it. had nothing to do yet with all the carnage that I was about to see. So, um, yeah, it was it was very, very bizarre time in my life. I always think back like uh on how crazy it actually was to get in there. Get kind of emotional.
0: We always talk about society, people out that don't know it. They mm-hmm. they have a perception of the thin blue line that like there's this brotherhood and you guys always have each other's back and there's this mm-hmm. door opens and magically you're all just best friends and, and you you can trust each other. And and it's not like that, it's really a sharp tank. You guys are the first to turn on each other.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, it was, I'm telling you, when, when I started, and I still have problems, I I still gotta ask God to help me forgive some of that stuff. I got cussed out, uh, these grown men that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a 21 year old kid starting here. I'm a grown man with a family and then these dudes that have years on, they think they can just pump me to my face. And like the way I was raised, you don't say nothing to a man's face unless you can whoop him. So, so I, I it was so hard for me. I wanted to like get in either get in a fist fight and beat somebody up, or just just quit this job altogether because it, it was a lot for a grown man to take. Um, I, I, I touch on that in my book a lot about the uh, about uh, what about the treatment of people that are starting. And then you 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 have that so correct. There was no. When I started, like, it was so different than I perceived. I was—I'm picturing in my head, like, okay, this is cool. I was a football player. This is gonna be like a football locker room. We got each other's back. We're just this one big team. But, man, it was a it was a phony investigation uh, against me for doing something I didn't do, um, like illegal something. Like, I, I believe it was selling cocaine. It was uh, yeah. It was crazy. Um, that actually got like a couple people demoted <laughs> when the truth came out. So justice got them. But yeah, that, that's how much they didn't want me there. It was it was brutal.
0: So they tried to undermine you.
1: Oh yeah, big time. And what are you gonna say if you're a rookie? You say anything and you're gone. You're on, you're on probation. You could be released for anything at any time. So that was my introduction to being a cop. And I was, and I, and as God is my witness, I was just a swear. A square, solid dude, follow, rule follower. I did my my job morally, uh, and I did it. I, I'm a hard worker, and uh, they had no reason to to put me through that.
0: So you're a fighter. Yeah. I am. I'm a fighter. <laughs> so uh, how does that fit into your story, the, the actual boxing?
1: I just, eventually, um, it came into being uh, a, a couple years down the line after starting. Um, it was actually, I got into it uh, because it was the only thing that I, that, that I could take out my rage and my aggression. Um, it, it actually helped keep me alive. Boxing became really my only way to, to to live. I just lived in that gym, beating on each other, getting beat up. I mean, it, it was. I would always, to, to be honest with you, not to sound uh, so hateful or anything, but I always pictured them, them dudes that tried to bump me. That I couldn't do nothing to them. <laughs> I took it out in the ring.
0: It's an excellent coping strategy. Yeah, mean, oh yeah, yeah. I always try to with my with my folks. I try to say use it with discretion because you're mm-hmm. teaching yourself that that's your coping mechanism. So you yep. don't have to be out of control with your physical violence.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: there are times when the energy is so strong inside you that you just have to release all of that pain and you just have to release all of that experience and all of that anger and. The, all the different emotions that lay on top of each other you've got to get physical and that's a safe way to get physical so oh I mean, yeah at least you got it out and didn't just stuff it away until yeah. it was too late because well, I eventually I
1: eventually learned how to do that um what ended up happening was was I just kept all that in and, and I mean I'm just talking about my, like me myself as getting the job but I mean I didn't even touch on like what I've seen every day at the job. I mean you you there's no rest for an officer especially a rookie officer in a busy city when i started it was it was we we were short-handed um so it's only a it's, it's a very small handful of us handling i mean zion is shootings i mean they're, they're they're almost every day um when it's when and during the summertime and um yeah dealing with all that especially where i grew up because it's where i grew up so i'm we're talking about i'm dealing with people that i've known for 30 years and love for, for or however many years, I, um, I had an extra special uh, um, eye-opening, like a rude awakening to see. And, e- and even the ones, a lot of ones that I grew up with, didn't, they didn't like me anymore either. It was pretty brutal.
0: And How often I, when you got a call, you knew who it was. What's that? And the hard part with you was that was your area. So yeah. when you got a call, you knew who it was. hmm
1: I've seen more people that I know die and... Uh, Terrible things. I've had to lock up people I've known for decades. It's it's, it's pretty tough on you if you don't know how to cope with it. Um, my way of doing it was uh, all of my frustration. See, when I first started, you didn't talk about being sad or being mentally stressed. You just didn't say a word. Uh, one of the worst things that ever happened to me. I like I always tell this story because it was so it was so alarming. Uh, my rookie, my rookie, I call it my rookie season like I'm in like I'm in the pros or something. My rookie season. Um, we had a double homicide, and it was two eight-year-old girls.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we were the ones that were, they were butchered. And me and my two partners the ones who found the bodies. And um, seeing a crime scene is, pe- people get this thing like, okay, you see it, you're done, or, or, or you turn it over to somebody. You're married to that scene. Like, you, you're standing over those bodies for hours. You're looking at every detail of what happened. Um, you, it's it's spiritual, really. You can feel the darkness and the, the just, it's hard to describe, but you. It, it, I think the Bible describes it as a heaviness. You can just feel the air is just heavy and it's so bizarre. So I'm standing there and we're there for hours guarding these babies' bodies. And um, I hear one of the old timers, because I'm just a rookie, I just started. Uh, I'm, uh, I hear one old timers say something to the effect Well, this don't mean nothing. We do this all the time. I'm going to go home and sleep like a baby. So, and that was one of the the guys that everyone looked up to, one of the old timers. And I'm thinking, okay, that's the attitude I guess I got to have. You can't never say out loud what's really hurting you. Because all I wanted to do was cry. I'm standing over this, looking at this, and all I'm doing, my daughter's around the same age. All I wanted to do was was break down and and, and weep. Um, But it trained me right away, like, no, don't show nothing. You're not allowed to be like that. And you got the feeling that if you talked about hurting or crying or admitting that you went home and and you couldn't sleep, um, you would be pegged as weak. Um, That was very, very apparent to me, like in a huge way. So I just learned right off the bat, you don't say nothing, you hold it in, you bottle it up. And anyone that knows anything about about psychology knows that it's going to come out in a destructive way if you hold it in. It's got to come out. so what i did was uh i mean you couple that i remember that that call this is a perfect example of my city that call those two girls ended up being a serial killer got those two girls we ended up solving it years years later but the very next day i had to pack that away go on try to go home and get some sleep come back that same night and i see a lady get run over by her girlfriend gets her arm ripped off or her boyfriend ran over with a van arm ripped totally off with a flying a chopper to so I'm trying to deal with i can i'm not even over the first i'm still not over the first one years later but i gotta cope with that and deal with the one that comes right along and then you stand over that scene you do it all over again and again you can't say anything you can't say i'm hurt um so that just keeps that just snowballs and and call after call um time at month after month it just goes by and you never say a word you try to act stoic you try to act tough and um I took it up with my way of getting it out was drinking and so uh drinking and womenizing was always a moral guy um, on the job but i did everything that you could possibly every temptation that you could possibly take up immoral like living like a heathen my mom used to call me um i, I have no idea why uh if you get a badge all of a sudden you're more handsome to women um, <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea why that badge makes ugly guys handsome and you can like women just love men in uniform and it was so easy and it was it's such a temptation and then you you couple that with drinking your pain away you couple that with thinking you, your your head is out to here because you you're you you think you have this power you become an egomaniac um it's all about you you almost become a little a, a little narcissistic qualities back then and um I ended up ruining my marriage um it's still something that hurts me to this day when my kids were Probably like six and eight when I split on them, and um, I own that one hundred percent. And that uh, it just it, that that uh, that divorce just adds to the the darkness. It just gets darker and darker and darker, and pretty soon you're disillusioned. I call it uh, disillusion with life. Like, how did I get here? This is three four years down the road. I'm like. What happened to that normal dude that was driving that forklift, living check to check? He's a normal guy. But all of this three, four years in, and I was this monster that still couldn't talk about the pain. Don't say nothing. They'll think you're weak. And uh, that's how I just went on and on about it until uh, a lot of things came to a to a. To a A crossroads. It was almost like it was going to go really, really bad, or I was going to have to fix it. So I was very lucky in that sense.
0: We've had difficulties trying to find actual accurate statistics on marriage Mm -hmm. and and serving. Um, And the numbers that we're coming up with appear to be for police officers as much as 80%. So the normal. Every day average is approximately fifty percent. So officers mm-hmm. have way less chance of managing to maintain a solid marriage on the job. And, well,
1: I mean, this this stuff needs to be trained with spouses next to you. Training with this stuff, yeah, it's uh, we're not intentional about that either. But heck, yeah. who wants to, it, the way the <laughs> way that policing is? Who wants to bring your significant other around some of these scumbags? <laughs> they might chase her. <laughs> she's pretty.
0: They <laughs> probably would chase her.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but that's a whole nother show. But oh my gosh.
0: But but you guys have to learn how to communicate your pain with your spouses in a way that doesn't, let's say like vomit on your spouse. You know, you don't uh-huh. want to give them all of your details. But you want to be able to share the emotions with them and say, hey, I had a really rough day. Can you just hold me right now? huh. Or can we just be together right now? and co-regulate those emotions, it doesn't have to be. Oftentimes when we talk about traumatic stress, we say, oh, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it, but we don't need to hash out the details of what we saw. What we need to talk about is that what I saw was painful, and it hurt me, Mm -hmm. and I need to share this with someone that I trust and that I feel safe with. So all of this therapy, these ideas that we have to go detail for detail for detail to deal with it, it's so not true. It's not really what we need at all. You and know if your child the... knows and you know how to communicate, then you guys can support each other and she'll uh-huh. understand.
1: Absolutely. I always say that like the most healthiest thing you can do now, I wouldn't have ever said this back then. The most healthiest thing you could do is go home a week. It's okay. We're humans. Humans aren't meant to see all of this every day. Um, but it, that's hard for a, a cop to admit. It's also hard for a cop to say that, that they, they can go and talk to somebody who isn't a cop because our big thing is well, you you, you don't you don't walk in our shoes, so you wouldn't know. Um, that's just that's pride, and that's got to go away too.
2: Yeah,
0: thank goodness, I have an advantage because I worked in investigations, so I spent a lot of time with officers. I spent a lot of time with investigators and DoD, and so. So, I don't get that resistance that a lot of people get because I don't cry when you tell me your shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this moment of everybody tests me when we first get into a relationship. There's always this, like, I'm going to tell you this thing and see if you flinched. Because
2: uh-huh. I have this
0: really gross, gory story, and you're going to flinch or you're going to cry or you're going to say, oh, how could you do that? Or, you know, judge it on me or something. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I can top that. Have you ever, you know, <laughs> and, the, and it changes everything when someone you're talking to understands yeah knows what you've seen i saw it different not in this exact same environment but those bodies that you had came to me <laughs> so, uh-huh. so it's like i saw the same things just in a different way
2: yeah
1: and it's a it, it takes a special a special rhythm i call it to, with your spouse if you have a significant other. Mine now she she doesn't want to know that many details, but she if I'm if I'm hurting, she just says, come on. She knows. So we have a, we have a good thing going on. And, and now that I know back then there's no way. I remember my my first wife just wondering what was wrong with me and I just you wouldn't get it. That was my thing. You wouldn't get it.
0: Yeah you have to let her see. You have to let her
2: have yeah. that mm-hmm.
0: instinct of when you need it if you're covering it they don't see it they just know you're mad or they know that you're not right and they can't fix it
1: yep and then they, they also you're just a different person and that's what i turned into and when i uh yeah it got so bad where, where i just I, I just didn't want to be here anymore i i couldn't uh i couldn't go to sleep without a bunch of prescription pills and over-the-counter pills so it's really bad um you never sleep as a cop Especially when you're young, um, you're always on the night shift, and you're always getting called in, you're always taking extra shifts. You never sleep, and uh, nobody ever explains to you the cortisol, nobody ever explains to you the, the lack of sleep, and how everything just snowballs, um, and holding it in the stress of it, and um, pretty soon, I just didn't want to live anymore. I remember I, I got caught, um, one of the girls I was messing around with at the time, uh, actually caught me practicing, um, how I would end my own life and uh, i got turned in uh what had happened is i I used to take this concoction to fall asleep and uh i used to practice because i I, it was to the point this is a few years in now and i was to the point where where i just fantasized about not being here anymore just having the pain go away um and um i used to take this cocktail to go to sleep during the day uh, because i worked midnights and a lot of times i would get woozy and i would just use my gun i had a caltech a little tiny one and then my duty weapon which is bigger and i would t- practice how would i how would i do it and i was i was under here and i remember i fell asleep The the drugs kicked in i fell asleep and just like sleeping like that and she had known a little bit about what what was going on with me so she flipped she flipped and she turned me right in to the chief and um and that made it even worse because now I'm afraid that people are gonna know there's something wrong with me. And, uh, to, and he took my, and then he took my badge and my gun and made me go get therapists and we're cops. We know what to say. We know what to say to get our badge back. Um, it's easy. It was for me, at least. I don't know if, if things have changed, this was years ago, but it was, it was pretty simple. But I knew that word would get out, that there's, I gotta screw loose and that I would get pegged and uh there'd be a stigma put on me and uh, i wasn't gonna live with that so I, that's when i came up with an actual real plan i wasn't going to say anything about it. i was
2: just going to do it
0: that is not uncommon mm. your badge is your identity
2: yeah oh yeah
0: and when you're in that moment when you need support that is the worst possible reaction
1: mm-hmm. i uh man i remember that like it was yesterday coming back and saying i am not gonna live with being seen as weak that's like it's like you your nightmare as a cop because you're looking at your, your other partners you're thinking okay they're putting on this face like they can handle it so I have to and if i don't i'm just i'm the weak link um so yeah that was when i, I wrote out a letter i was ready to go and ready for the plan and then that incident happened on that night that changed everything for me
0: I'm
1: just going to let you keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that because I remember I remember my mom. I'm, I remember I was telling you earlier that I'm a computer. I'm a moron when it comes to technology. But the one thing my mom bought me an iPad years ago. I didn't know what it was. And uh, I figured you could turn it on. And it was this thing where you could type out something. So I typed out uh, suicide note. And it was very, very direct. I had a, I knew what I was going to do. Um, I had put in there who I hated, who I loved, why I'm doing this. I didn't want any cops at my funeral. I, I, I saw it at the time, I saw it as, as this is what did me in. This job is what killed me. And I resented that. And uh, I had the note ready. I was gonna, I knew who I was gonna leave it to, I was gonna make my last calls. And uh, I went on midnight shift that night. And it took me a long time to even tell this story. Um, because I thought people would think I was crazy, but um, I'm sitting there in my squad. I'm going over this plan because when you're you're that manic and you're that done with like you cry. You cry when you're alone, every single day. It it never fails. You're alone. All you have is your thoughts and you you just cry. So I'm doing my normal routine of crying to myself in the car. I'm going over this plan and exactly step-by-step how I'm going to do it. Um, I knew where I was going to go home to my brother's house where I was living. and A, B, C, D. It was done. So I'm going over this plan, crying, weeping. And it's a it's a winter night in in Chicagoland. It was like had it been 20 below. It was in January, which is a brutal month for us. So the wind is just howling off the lake. Nobody's out. It's like two in the morning. I'm on I'm, at, I'm at midnight shift. I go to Walmart just so I can sit there and cry. And there's nobody at all in the parking lot. And as I'm crying to myself, going over this plan in my head, I see this lady come out of Walmart. And I'm thinking to myself, why in the world are you walking in this parking lot? She, was, she had hair like it was black hair, but it was just like yours, know, straight. And the, it was sideways. The wind was blowing that hard. Her hair was sideways. She didn't even have a hat on. I'm looking like, why are you in the parking lot? So she walks over to this car, and then she sees me. And she walked straight towards my squad. I had I had parked like fifty yards away from the entrance, so it it was it was an intentional um, act if she was going to come all the way to see me. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you bothering me right now for? I had to wipe away my tears and act like I was normal. And uh, as she gets to my squad, I uh, I was rude actually. I didn't want to talk, so I rolled my window down a couple inches, and um, she didn't say nothing she just reaches her hand in there and uh, she hands me something and she says you need this and then she turned around and walked away didn't even didn't say another word and i i opened up my hand to see what she just had it so it was a little red cross and um That was the most surreal moment of my entire life, hands down. Nothing that's ever compared to that. I'm literally in my car going over, blowing my own brains out. And in this unlikely, ridiculous night, this lady comes and does this. And I just, I, I said, I know God, that's you. You're talking to me right now. I, I knew there was a God somewhere. So I literally screamed out I said do something help me help me help me um if you would have walked by and seen me in my squad crying out you'd have thought I was nuts um that's another reason why I didn't didn't tell the story for like a year after it happened because I I I just was afraid people would think I was crazy so I remember feeling this just this peace come over I it's hard to explain and um I knew that God was there. I don't I don't know how to really describe it. I just felt like there was this presence with me. And um, I don't know if it was audible or in my head or whatever it was. I just, I felt or heard Jesus tell me, to stop what you're doing and follow me. It was almost like the brakes on. I'm here son. And um, that was the realest thing that I'd ever endured period on earth it was it was so bizarre um so what i did i actually i knew that something this this really just happened to me so my, i know my sister worked for a church had never been there never met anybody there and uh, i just called her i said something crazy happened to me and um i need to get in there we got a pastor in there i don't know who he is but can i get in there and talk to him and um I went in there the next day and he told me the, the craziest thing. He said, uh, I said, I know you don't know me. I'm Lori's brother. And he said, oh, I know you. He said, uh, <laughs> he said, he said, your sister's been coming to my office and crying. And um, he said, "We've been praying for a supernatural event to happen in your life." And um, I get emotional when I say that because that was—it was so bizarre. Because I had told him what happened in the parking lot. And I said, "Well, I think you got your supernatural event." And um, he sat me down, and I cried—finally cried—and admitted how weak i was and admitted that i can't do this alone i i'm going to I, i'm on a path to end my life do something please and for the first time he, he kind of explained um and it took a pastor um to explain to me the psychology of everything to, to explain to me that we're not meant to walk in this world alone that would that as a man it's it's healthy to admit that you're weak that as 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 a broken human being, he understood, he explained how sin entered the world and how we, we are all broken and flawed and we can't do this by ourselves. And he said that God sends people. That's what he does. He uses people. That's his hands and feet. And um, let's get you some real help. And um, I gave my life to the Lord that day. and And it's been my life's mission to find out what was wrong and find out why does this happen? And um, it's kind of what I do now. I was very angry. I really was very angry. Why did I have to wait 13 or 14 years into my career to hear these statistics? Nobody tells me, We we do all this training. We do defensive tactics, we do shooting, we do taser training, OC, handcuff training um striking grappling we do all this training for our bodies but why did it take 12 13 years of my career to know that the biggest danger to a cop is suicide in his own by his own hand why don't we do training for our brain it doesn't make sense so I was mad I was like I didn't know these statistics this is the first thing that should be taught to a person coming into this profession how dangerous this stuff is on what you're really flirting with or like like what you're going to go through like i was i was so like like fighting mad i was angry towards the training i was angry towards the whole the way the system is ran and and i just i've been screaming for that we need change ever since and um it's basically what i what i wrote about and why why we even met krista that's how that's how um if i hear that someone is onto the same thing i'm onto let's i'll do anything because I mean, we lose so many people all the time. And, and, and it's not just police officers, it's firefighters too, it's soldiers too. It's different, it's different um, forms of PTSD and different forms of depression, but it's the same thing. Same thing as we can't do this alone.
0: It's very interesting that you said what you said the way you said it, that, that why are we not told? Part of the program that I developed for this that needs to be implemented, we just need to implement this everywhere and it's not it's not complex stuff it's stuff we know about it literally includes informed consent at higher and along with that is relationship mm-hmm. suicide, addiction and a little bit of anger management right at the get go that oh if my gosh all of these things this these are the things that you're going to struggle with these are the signs and symptoms of you're starting to struggle with them. Mm-hmm. So the tools and resources you use to deal with this right at the beginning and all throughout your career. I really believe wholeheartedly that half of this problem can be eliminated right away if we just teach people at the beginning what they're getting into, yep. what that looks like. So they know what's happening and they're not 20 years in before it hits them in the face and they go, oh, this is PTSD. Mm-hmm. So many people have come on here and not known that they were struggling with something real. They thought it was just them and it was their own weaknesses or their own broken mind and that everyone else was fine and that there was nothing normal about their reaction. Uh huh. It should not be a shock. It's, it happens to so many people. It should not be a shock.
1: Yeah, we all, I want to know if if there's ever, if you guys are ever able to obtain like a statistic on how many officers actually do suffer from from this. I mean, I I bet it would be, it it would be hard to obtain because so many are still afraid to admit that that's what they're going through. Um, No, the
0: the statistics say 15% are currently diagnosed with PTSD, but that doesn't include subthreshold PTSD that doesn't quite meet the diagnostic standards. And that doesn't include people who aren't talking about it
1: yeah and which is the which is the huge problem um because guys just don't want to talk about it i remember um, thinking back i'm looking at it. I, I saw once i saw this uh somebody had a chart i i, I teach a cit class and i give my story and I, I try to encourage officers but i work with a professor someone who's much smarter than me she's more of a book person a structural person but she has this chart that Pinpoints certain steps as you progress along with with um, depression and what officers generally go through. And I'm looking back and I fit like every single one of those categories to a T. because it's, it's it's an obvious pattern. Yeah. Um, that should have been that, that should be part of your orientation exactly. <laughs> as you apply to be an officer.
0: I agree, absolutely. You, yes. yes. Um,
2: I can high five you
1: right now yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I mean i i am for all of the information i am for and, and i and i give uh, some examples um in the book that i wrote i give some examples of just very simple i'm not a scholar i barely passed high school so I, it's just a just the working man's simple examples of what we need to improve and communication is one of the biggest things being phony tough is another huge thing. This phony toughness, like like we need to just flush it down the toilet for good. This facade, like where are these, these, these we're commando, We're mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger from commando. Like, get out of here. I, like a perfect example I always use is a, a guy that uh, that I worked with. His name is Bart. He was an actual UFC fighter, like, like on pay-per-views. He got knocked out of the night on pay-per-views. Made his living. The toughest dude I've ever worked with physically, hands down. He would whoop anybody in the room. Uh, but he didn't act like it. he, he was the mo- most gentle, kind-hearted person that you could ever meet. You would never know by meeting him because of his demeanor and because if he was hurting, he'll tell you about it. If something's bothering him, he'll admit as a man, like he used to come to me and we'd have long talks. Um, we need more of that and not this phony. Oh, I can't say nothing because I'll, I'll look weak. That's what I suffered from. Uh, another one I see is the veterans. Like uh, veterans, we have to go to these rookies. If they're not going to train them like this in the academy, first any the first week they're there, put your arm around. Them. They're not. Don't don't be a a, a bully and this rookie nonsense, the garbage that I had to go through. Go up and put your arm around them. You're my colleague. We're going to see some messed up stuff. Um, you're going to come. I need you to come and talk to me uh, after any call you need. I'm here 24 hours a day. Come here. and I'm going to take care of you like my own kid. And um, that's what we need. Um, it, it was so backwards when we started. Um, that military mindset you gotta put in. I mean, it was, when I started, there was like lieutenants and, and, and ranking that wouldn't even talk to a, wouldn't even say one word to them until you had at least a couple years on or year on or whatever, whatever stupidity that was. Um, in the meantime, they're just getting ran right through the mud, trauma, uh, so it's like psychological problems dealing with it on their own i mean it, it is so toxic i don't know why that ever existed and, I, and I, I get mad and worked up when i think about this because i think about the dead bodies of the people that didn't make it i have a lot of survivors killed um, i see that there's blood on your hands because we allowed this to go so long
2: yeah
1: and it, it's, it, it's 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 mad it really is
0: and we call it family yeah but we don't treat it like family uh-uh
1: uh uh-uh. uh, a life is so precious, so precious. Um, I have the closest person in my life um, took his own life three years ago, so I know I know what living that. I know the reality and the destruction that leaves behind. Um, this so he wasn't a cop; um, he was like my adopted son, um, and that one hurts. So I I'll, I'll do anything to, to stop someone from having to go through that. You don't get over something like that.
0: And now you speak. Now you go, and you you spread this message.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. You you have to. You have to. Um, you have to use your pain. I always say that you can sit here and just and just like broiling it in your pain and just be miserable every day. Or you could take your pain and you could try to make something positive out of it and you can talk about it and you can try to save somebody with your story. I tell my kids, don't learn from your own mistakes. Learn from somebody else's mistakes. It makes you better. So you don't have to make those mistakes. Um, so I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of, uh, we, we just hired two or three, three, two, two new rookies. And they're like my best buddies. When like, I get over here, kid. Let me tell you something. I love you I don't want you to go through any of this stuff um and it, it, it's a walk it's a family from day one
2: you're by yeah, example
1: yeah I do I, I I just like man and and, and i go back to the time that I talked to my pastor that first night he said one of the coolest things that had stuck with me ever since that was 2013 and I still think about it every day so I, I said pastor um why do I still struggle with this certain sin or this certain weakness in my life. And he, only tell, he, he tells me, he said, I struggle with the same thing. It's okay. Let's struggle together. And uh, that really took me. That, I took that attitude in everything I do. I know I'm flawed and broken, but let's be a unit and let's get through this flawed and broken world arm in arm. Let's do this together. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm big in that and uh, keeping family tight and just talk about stuff. And the pain don't really go away. I mean, I've gotten more stressed out. Um, I run a, 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 I'm a CEO of a nonprofit now with, that helps kids, and I see more stress and, and carnage than I ever have. But I know how to deal with it. now. I know how to sustain through it, and it's a, it's a good tool to have.
0: So tell us more about your nonprofit.
1: Oh, so what that's, uh, what ended up happening was. The pastor mentored me for like a year, and he finally convinced me to tell the world what actually happened to me that night. So that was part of my story. Um, and I didn't realize that my story could help anybody. I, I saw that the, when I first said it in public, I saw some of the reactions, and uh, I was like, wow, people were coming up to me and saying, that, man, I'm going through something just like that. That gives me hope, and then you're not afraid to talk about it. So that, that just put, that, that put me in the, that put so much fuel onto my fire so i was I, I was speaking on that and pastor's like you need to uh, do something structured uh start a youth group or something we got a church here uh, with, with basketball hoops that nobody uses so he ended up convincing me to invite some kids from my city into the church first night we had six kids it was my son who was a freshman and five of his friends so i'm like okay we'll do this i don't really want to do it uh, i was like okay pastor we'll do it for a week or so and then and then you get off my back and i'll just get back to being a cop but first week happens the next week we have 10 the next week we have 15 20 30 all of a sudden we can't even fit any more kids in this gym and they're all kids from my city and um, they're looking at me some sort of way like uh, you're this cop and these are mostly are like street kids so a lot of them don't even know it's it's free food free basketball and and you get to have a cool environment so a lot of them come in and uh, won't even shake my hand uh, but it started off kind of like that, and and after a while I, I started, like, giving them a lesson, teaching them about things and teaching them about life, uh, teaching them about God, um, all kind of different things that, that it turned into. And it just got the ball rolling. It turned into a, a, we're considered a public charity now. We've serviced thousands of, of youth from our city, and uh, it's been beautiful. I mean, it's, there's been so many, uh, I could go on all night. It's my next book, actually, to write some of the stories. Um we service mostly followers, at risk youth, mostly gang members. But they come in and, and uh, we give them the gospel. We love them no matter what they've done. Uh, my team, I have an excellent team now. So we've we're, we're fighting back against. the uh, know this is a different a different fight, a different front. Um, and that's against just the the, the the young violence in our city. But it's been beautiful. We've we've uh, there's so
2: many stories.
0: I always tell people we're all in the same fight. Trauma is trauma.
2: Mm-hmm. And tra-
0: is the cause of all of this.
2: Yep. And, you know, and that
1: that's how both of my both of these things I'm talking about come together. Because I see myself as just as broken as this kid who's a gang member with no no parents. I see myself just as broken so I can relate. Boom. I was I'm broken too. Let's just let's let's be broken together. So that's trauma is trauma. That's perfect.
0: You're bridging the gap too. You're mm-hmm. helping them see that you're human and you're reminding people who work with you, that they're human. You're keeping that that individuality and that, that empathy and that love there that needs to be there in those relationships. As scary and as dangerous as the world can be,
1: we uh-huh.
0: still have to remember that at the end of the day, we're all just human.
1: Exactly. Exactly. We're all flawed. And it's something to be said about saying that out loud because uh, I've just found it to be effective. It, it, it makes you non judgmental of anybody because if, if you admit that how, how many flaws you have, you, you're, you're less uh, likely to judge somebody else for their flaws. So then you have something in common off the bat. Um, so, my organization that's called My Father's Business, has done really, really well. We've, we've been able to raise um, up to like $300,000 and put back to the city, um, just helping kids stay clean, stay off the streets. And uh, it's been so cool, it's been so much fun. Actually, turned the badge that I resented. Now, I've found a way to glorify God with it, and I love it. Um, It's turned everything around.
2: And the The name of your book?
1: The name of my book is Cop in Crisis to Cop in Christ. And uh, it's just basically this hour that we've had. It's basically that in a nutshell. And then my suggestions. It it really turned out to be a a book. And I was so happy when that chief, there's a chief from Hawaii. uh, He used to work for LAPD. Uh, but he's a he, now he's a chief down in a in a city, smaller city in Hawaii. But he read it and he validated. It. He's like, dude, every rookie needs to read this book because it's so real and it's so it's very detailed. But it. it's it's way more detailed than I than I wanted to get uh, here on the on the show because uh, it's it, it's it's reality. It's grotesque. It's it's like the real deal. So I I I've, it's gotten a really good reception on Amazon for other cops. Um, I've gotten so many people saying. Uh, that uh, this is what I go through. And I thank you so much. That you, you made me want to stay strong. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just humbled. And uh, I don't make any money off of it. All of it goes to my nonprofit. So I just want to help people. That's it.
0: Thank you so much for coming and talking to us here tonight. Is there anything that you want to leave our audience with?
1: I want to leave everyone knowing you can't do this world alone. You can't. We weren't meant to do this world alone. We're meant to walk through this life with God and with each other. And um, there's nothing that we can't solve. If you're going through it, I I still go through it too, but learn how to resolve that. And Krista, you have such a key. Um, You've touched on so many perfect points that we we are gonna make change. We are gonna make change in this profession. If I scream this to to my last breath, uh, we are gonna make change in this profession. And I really, really, I love and appreciate you for it.
0: Why well, I say we can't do this alone, but when we all stand together and shout the same thing, tidal mm-hmm. wave.
2: Yes, yes we so, will.
0: We're not, I just had someone today tell me, nonprofits are competitive with each other. You're all looking for the same money. I'm like, first off, there's way more money than we could all ever use. Like we're not competitive about money. We don't uh-huh. need to. There's plenty to go around. But the other thing is, If we're in it for the right reasons, we should all be going down the same path. So just by virtue of that, we're walking together. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) If you are not in it for the right reasons, yeah, there's going to be resistance and you're not going to be on the same path. But if you're really focused on the goal and you're really focused on the problem and you're really focused on creating a solution, we're all walking the same road. So we're beating the brush down for each other. Like mm-hmm. we're making the path easier for each other. So why don't we do that intentionally? Why don't we connect and pool resources and pool our thoughts and ideas and create this massive voice that can't be
2: ignored?
1: Uh uh-huh. that's,
2: that's,
1: that's why we do what we do, Kristen. And that's why they, they, they will never shut me up and they'll never shut you up. <laughs> because we know <laughs> we, we have to make noise. There's
2: they're not listening. enough of us yet. <laughs>
1: not yet, but they're starting to listen.
0: They are starting to listen. We're going to stay in touch. And mm-hmm. I'm going to um, I'm gonna get with you after to make sure that I have the information for your book. And if mm-hmm. it's okay with you, I'm going to post it on my resources link on our website.
2: That would be great. So thank you.
0: And access that. So, um, and then I will send you the anchor link for this so that mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want with the video. Okay. Um, and you can share that wherever you want to. So thank you so much for being with us tonight.
1: Thank Anything. you. I really appreciate this, it. awesome. Anything you need, let me know. I'm there.
0: Same thing. All right, everybody, thank you so much for being here tonight. Do not forget his name is Matt Thornton, and if you're looking for his his nonprofit organization, it is my father's business, and you can find his book on Amazon, and I will be posting a link for that as well. So, if you are struggling, don't hold back. Reach out. You could reach out to me. You can reach out to Matt. You can reach out to anyone that you feel comfortable reaching out. Just take action. Just take the hardest first step. And everything will change. It does get better. There is hope on the other side. There is healing. And you don't have to live like this. You don't have to pretend. It's okay not to be okay, even though that is such a boxed sentiment at this point.
2: Battle to be, signing off.